Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to the book that we're going to be studying from now to the end of uh, November. I was going to say October, but it's November. I don't know if that was funny, but that was what it was. Yes, Uh, we're studying the book of Acts. So if you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're studying this book that actually outlines the mission of the church and the mission that God has called us into. Um, this, we're, the passage we're going to start off with is right at the beginning there. Um, we're going to be dealing with all the verses in uh, Acts 1 through 20, but we're going to be reading Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. And just for, to give us kind of setting the stage what's taking place here, Jesus has died on the cross, he has risen from the grave, and now he's about to unleash the church and start this thing that's, that's called, that we call the church, this gathering of the faithful. And, and the, he's going to give, the, the Holy Spirit is going to be given to them. That all it takes place down the road. But this is the beginning, the introduction, the, the idea, the basically picking up from the resurrection on. And so if you've got your Bibles or Bibles on your phone, you could turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. And if you could stand with me as we read this passage. He starts in verse 4 saying this. On one occasion, and this is talking again about Jesus, and he's hanging out with his disciples. He's teaching them. He's teaching them actually everything about what the Old Testament, how all the Old Testament was pointing to him. Just key, incredibly important things that he's passing on to them because he's about to leave them. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So as we get into this passage, I mean, this is just an amazing account, but you have to see the, the importance of this book. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie, an incredible, important movie back in the 80s, um, The Neverending Story. Yes, some of you. If you're a parent and your kids haven't seen this, um, we have parenting classes that we're offering, and you can... <laughs> It's totally awesome. But the, if, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to, uh, you've had 30 years to watch this movie or 40 maybe, and so I'm going to spoil it. Um, you've got the incredible, interesting uh, characters in this movie. You've got a good luck dragon in this movie. You have incredibly uh, sad moments taking place in this film, incredibly scary moments taking place in this film, incredibly bad special effects in this film. This guy, and, but at the center of the whole book, you've got this story of this, this kid named, named Bastion, Sebastian, and, and Bastion, his, the, he's actually found, he's come across this book in this bookstore called The Never-Ending Story, and so the whole thing is him ditching school, going up to this attic and reading this story, so all those fantastic characters, all the fantasy emerges out of this book, The Never-Ending Story, and he's an avid reader, and he's got a great imagination, so he's just tracking along, but something happens towards the end of the movie. He starts to pick up on the fact that the, the storyline is engaging with details of his life a little too closely, even though it's in a fantasy world. On top of that, he's starting to recognize that he actually has influence on how he's responding to what, what's being told within the story. And if it was at any, any doubt at any part of the movie, all of a sudden, the princess of the kingdom in the story turns, breaks the fourth wall, and starts to talk directly to the camera, directly to the reader, 
directly to, to Bastion himself saying, Bastion, come into this story. Help us. You have a part to play. To which he was like, this is ridiculous. That's impossible. This is just a story. This is just a dumb book. This isn't a story. This isn't something. I don't have a part in this. I'm just a little kid. And she pleads with him, trying to help him understand, do you not realize that you have a part in this account? This is more than a book. When we get to the book of Acts, this is the coolest thing. This is not merely a historical accounting. This is not merely simply, okay, we want to tell you how the church got started. So this is what took place. Historically, this is what took place. Now, it is a book that's recording history, but it's far more because the purpose of it is to help people understand after Jesus rose from the grave, the mission that he gave his disciples, but it's not just for them. It's not just, we're going to record the the mission that these guys had. It's for the reader to listen to this and realize, this is my story. I'm reading this, and I'm not just reading about these people being called into this mission. I'm reading into this, and these guys are being called into this mission, and I'm actually being ushered into the very same mission. In this series, in this particular week, we're talking about mission given, the mission that Jesus gave his disciples. And and in that passage that I gave, as complicated as we want to make our faith, as complicated as we want to make Christianity and what God's call us to do, he simplifies it into simply this. This is what I'm calling you to do. Based on the power I'm going to give you to pull this off, simply be a witness. Now, I grew up in church, and if you grew up in church and someone said, okay, we're going to go witnessing, all of a sudden, like, like, I would get freaked out because the witnessing meant like I was going to be going like stranger to stranger to stranger and trying to sell them on the gospel because I had to get them saved. Because if I didn't, this person was going to go to hell. And that like put a whole lot of pressure on me because I'm like, and so witnessing had a whole lot to it that I don't think Jesus is investing in this passage. Jesus is putting in this passage, what a witness is, is someone who's reflecting reality. They're being real with the people around them. They're being real about their own historical account of what's taking place in their life. They're a witness. Their job is not saving someone. That's God's job. Their, their job is not selling someone because the gospel's free. Their job is to simply be a what? Witness. And in this passage, we see exactly how to do that. The first way that we do that, if, if, as people who are called into this mission that, that God gave us, the first step is to simply take what you know about him. Now, this is, this is kind of goofy because a lot of times we believe that our faith is blind faith and it's like, it's, it's totally just like, well, I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm just going to believe hard enough. Um, my granny, she told me this, and how could she be wrong? You know, like, I, I got led to the Lord by my first grade Sunday school teacher, or whatever your story is. And we're like, I'm, I'm a Christian because of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm vamping off of what they told me. But the author of the book of Acts is not intending for us to live that way. Do you know who the author of the book of Acts was? Yeah, a guy named Luke. And if you go to the beginning of Luke, you see who he's writing to. Uh, this is, I just took a picture of my Bible here. It's like in the, in the former book, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, that in Greek, that means friend of God. And I remember I, I always used to think, and, and it's possible, I guess, but I always used to think that the, Theophilus, meaning friend of God, is like a, a nickname he was giving the church. Like, hey, I'm writing to you, friends of God. You used to be enemies of God, but you aren't anymore. You are friends of God or you're dear ones to God or or greatly valued by God, Theophilus. But listen to what he says next. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the thing, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. What former book? What other book did Luke write in the New Testament? That's right. It's not a trick question. It's Luke, right? So you go back to Luke and you realize that this, if, if Acts is the sequel, this was the original. This is the first part. Okay. This is episode one of this whole storyline. And you have in it 
this accounting. If you look in the square right there, it says this. Let's go ahead and just go from, let's see. I too decided to write an orderly, and just look at that square part right there, account for you, most excellent, in the best Bill and Ted's voice you can conjure, most excellent, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, again, that, that's a name that, um, whenever we get to weird Bible names, sometimes I make a joke that this is, if you've, got a, if you've just had a child or you're pregnant, this is probably a name you want to avoid. Um, and I would say that about Theophilus, except for my sister named one of her kids this. So it's weird. <laughs> I just call him Theo. But regardless, Theophilus, friend of God, seems to be an actual dude. Because look, this is accounting to you most excellent Theophilus. It's almost like he's attaching onto this some meaning. This isn't just a nickname for the church in general. He's actually writing a guy. And, but listen to all that he says about that first episode, Luke, and what he's trying to do. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from, from the first, they were what? Okay, this is so awesome. Because if you've ever grown up thinking that your faith is built on, again, your granny. Luke is like, I don't, look, no offense to your granny. I don't care what your granny has to say about Jesus, okay? I want to talk to who? Eyewitnesses. Was your granny there? If your granny was there, boom, let's talk. But if your granny wasn't there, I don't, I, it, again, no offense, but I want to talk to eyewitnesses. I want to, this has got to be built on actual events, not just like, I heard this awesome story and it changed my life. Cool. I don't care. I want to talk to eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Verse three, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully what? Believed with blind faith. I have carefully put all of my hope in this story. No. Carefully what? Investigated. Luke is saying, I, I'm not cynical, but I'm skeptical of people who just say that they believe something. I needed to know if this was true, Theophilus, most excellent. I want this to be something that if you're going to believe this, you believe this because of fact, not because of fiction or spin. I, I carefully investigated everything. What did he investigate? From the beginning. What beginning? You can go back to like the beginning of the world. No, the be uh, beginning was to carefully investigate everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So that what? You may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. I don't want you to be in doubt. If you're a skeptical person, if you're a thinking, intelligent person, you, like me, have questions. And so what I want to do, and I'm not hating on any of the people that wrote accounts of what Jesus did, but a lot of people are saying stuff that didn't happen. And so what I want to do is I want to investigate the eyewitnesses to give a, what kind of an account? Call Luke OCD, but he wants it orderly, okay? This has got to be like, I want, it, I want it orderly so that we can actually look back on this. And that's going to produce something in you, certainty. Why? Because Luke was really, really big on the idea that we need to start, if we're going to be witnesses, to take what we know, know to be true. Later on in that same chapter, chapter one, you can look at it in your own Bibles in verse 15. It says this, um, that, that there was all the disciples, there were 12 disciples, but then there were 11. Why? Judas, right. What did Judas do? Yeah, he, he betrayed Jesus, then he kills himself, right? He commits suicide. And so now there's not 12, there's 11 and so all of a sudden you got this scenario where Peter's like, okay, Jesus has, has died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, and he's gone back to be with the Father. What do we do now? In 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, 
A group not 12, not 11, how many? A group numbering about 120, just right here. We know that there are hundreds of people who had witnessed the resurrected Christ and this early start, before, before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit comes, anything, is tons of people, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And then Peter makes, the, he kind of gives a parenthetical statement of what, how Judas killed himself. And so like he says that, and then after that, he jumps into this in verse 21. Therefore, it's necessary for us to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole, t- pause. It's important because we have the number 12 being an important number to God. Why? We don't know, but there's 12 tribes. We, 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 see, we see 12 representatives, and we, and we see Jesus calling not nine, not 15, but 12. And so that was, that was important to God. It, it seems to be like a significance. And so Peter picks up on that and says, God, when God's doing something significant, he seems to be doing that in, with 12. And, and because Jesus called 12 of us, we should have someone replace him. But there's qualifications. Okay, so what, what hoops does this guy have to jump through? What qualifications need to be on his resume? Does he need to know Excel? Like, what, what does he need to do? Like, what is it? The men, okay, the, choose one of the men that what? Have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Okay, so not someone who just became a believer, not someone who saw the resurrected Jesus like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, I heard stories about this, but someone who saw Jesus before the resurrection, and not just before the resurrection, the whole time, and he, and he gets explicit here on what that means, beginning from John's baptism, what happened then? That was the beginning of Jesus' ministry, so all the, all the things that Jesus is teaching is taking place from this point on, why is that important? I, we need to find someone who had to grapple with all the crazy, difficult stuff that Jesus had to say. The stuff that pushed our buttons, that pushed the religious elite's buttons and made us go like, can he say that? Can he actually do that? We needed people who had to walk through like, this guy's like talking with way more gusto and way more authority than anyone should talk. Like unless he's God. And then realize that he was. We need people who's, who's been there from the beginning at John's Baptist to what time? To the time when Jesus was taken up from us. Now, this is important because if you had a chance to walk with Jesus all the way through there, you had to hit your own doubts at some point. You, like the disciples, bailed on Jesus. We need to have someone who understands what it's like to lose their confidence. We need someone who actually got a point where they saw Jesus crucified and didn't say, this is going to be the best thing ever, but actually had to grapple with the depths of their own doubts and then get to the other side. For one of us, for one of these must become a witness with us of what? The resurrection. Paul says this. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's like, look, okay, there's lots of things in our faith, but, but you want to know where it all starts? It, all, it doesn't all start with this, this set of, of what we do as followers of Jesus, where it all starts, the, like the, the, the absolute seed, the core of this, the, the germ that all this comes out of is the resurrection. This is pivotal. If you realize the reality of this, it changes everything. It changes you. And this is so important because he's actually banking on the fact that this is something we need to know someone who's, or we need to find someone who's going to be the primary communicators who are not just communicating spin, not just communicating a secondhand story, but were eyewitnesses from the beginning to the very end. Now, here's the thing that's so important for us. As witnesses now, one of the things that's so sad about Christians today, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna own this, is that we fall so short of sharing our faith with the people we work with, 
that we hang out with, that we do life with, not because we don't believe it, because we're freaked out that someone's going to ask us a hard question. Like, I don't know everything. But he doesn't ask us to know everything. He says, build on what you do know. And the amazing thing is this. The reality of the resurrection informs us that Jesus is real. The fact that there were eyewitnesses informs us that this was a legitimate reality. And this is the coolest thing. And I've said this so many times, but I think it's so cool to see how today the people who are open-minded agnostics and open-minded atheists that are coming to faith the most is because the fact that they're actually like Luke, investigating in an orderly way the resurrection details. Did this happen? And the reality of the explosion of this faith that had no chance to explode, the spread of this faith, which was going against every cultural norm, should not have spread, only could be, in a time when there's actual eyewitnesses, could only have account for the fact that this crazy thing of a bodily death and bodily resurrection actually happened. Your faith and mine are not built on the fact that granny told us, right? Your faith and mine aren't built on the fact that our mom or our dad led us to the Lord or we went to a cool day camp and we became a Christian. That's not, where your faith, that's not what your faith rests in. Your faith doesn't even rest in the fact that we have a holy book that tells us that. Lots of holy books say lots of things. The reality of Scripture is that we know that this is real. The reason that, this is, that we know this is an inspired word of God, that this is, this is God's words to us, is because it's built in reality. Not fiction, not mythology, but fact. The resurrection happened. And when you start there, like Paul says with the resurrection, all of a sudden we see how everything else is accurate. Start with what you know about him. And then you take that, and then you take what he's done in your life. Which, of course, brings us... Uh, to vegans. Um, now, just full disclosure, I'm not a vegan. Uh, I love, 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 love bacon cheeseburgers. Um, no, I, all the other meats are awesome, great, whatever. But, uh, but bacon cheeseburgers is kind of like, it's like on, on the eighth day, God's like, boom. You know, it's like just, a, it's a bacon cheeseburgers. I, I, I just love them so much. Um, if you took me to a fancy steakhouse, you're like, oh, you got to order the steak. It's like this thick and it's this. I'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Where are the cheeseburgers? And that's what I would order because I just love them. Uh, but if I was a vegan, and, I, and I've got tons of friends that are vegans, um, the, the, they would probably agree with me on this, is that vegans uh, are, they make great artists. Vegans make great neighbors. Vegans make great friends. We have lots of friends here at, at NBC that are vegans, and some of my closest friends are vegans. Uh, but the one thing that vegans really are terrible at is this. They don't make great hamburger advertisers. Like, they stink at it. They're awful. Um, because if you just imagine, like, if I, was a, 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 if I was a vegan and I was a hamburger advertiser, I'd be bringing this, this hamburger before you, like, and, and here you really, everyone should, everyone should buy this and eat this. You should eat this. And, and someone might just say, that looks like a good burger. Well, it is. It's a, it's a very good burger. Um, it's our best-selling burger. Uh, it's very thick, and uh, it's, it's something that you should really eat. It's, it's delicious. That's awesome. What's that made out of? Like, how, how's it processed? Um, somebody went and killed a cow, <laughs> straight up slaughtered it, right in front of its children. And they grabbed that thing, and they cut the meat out of it, and they pressed it onto a blazing fire so that you would hear this animal's muscles sizzle under the flame. 
and then they mash it together, and, they, and this is what you have right here. Sounds delicious. So is that like, is that medium rare or something? Because I like the blood juice, you know what I'm talking about? By the way, that, that voice is in my head when I'm looking at hamburgers. That's just the way I'm... Does it have the blood juice? It does have the, the blood juice. It's not really blood juice, but yes, it has that, and it's, it's very flavorful. Ah, oh, awesome. Is that like cheddar cheese or American cheese? It's provolone. Oh, fancy cheese. Love it. All right. That sounds good. Uh, so what does it taste like? Look, it's fantastic. Best-selling burger we have. I know a lot of people who buy this. My, my parents, when they come in here, that this is what they buy. I've got lots of friends, and they said this is their favorite burger because it tastes so good. Great. What does it taste like? It, it, like a hamburger. It tastes good. Well, what do you like about it? Well, I, I've never had this burger. You've never had a burger? No, I had a burger like when I was a kid. But like the, the more that I learned, the more I was just like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. The older I've gotten, I mean, again, I know a lot of people who think it's amazing. So I'm just telling you, based on their testimony, it's awesome. Vegans do not make great hamburger advertisers. Why? Because the thing that they're promoting isn't what they're practicing. Christians make awful witnesses when we're banking on the testimony and riding on the fumes of what other people have had with God. A lot of us grew up, not all of us, but a lot of us grew up with parents or grandparents who were close with God, and we accepted that. We, we put our trust in Jesus. But honestly, what he's done in my life, like I can't tell you a whole lot of it because it's not just a, there's not a whole lot there. I can tell you what, they, what, what happened with my parents' faith. I can tell you what my parents did and how that impacted their life, my grandparents. I can tell you some of my friends. But like in my life, I'm just kind of like flying just by my own self. I, I, I don't know how else to explain it. When we live that way, all of a sudden we are defying and denying the reality of who we are. In John chapter 9, you've got this guy who is blind, like straight up blind. And Jesus heals him. Like he was blind and then he wasn't. And then the religious elite are freaking out because Jesus is breaking the law because he's healing on the Sabbath and he's a sinner because of this. And so they start interrogating this guy who can see now. It's like, how did this happen? Why did you let him do that? Don't you realize he's a sinner? Like, and the guy's like, look, dude, I don't know. He just, I, 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 I didn't see anything, all right? I didn't see anything. And then I, and then I did, and then I did. And then, and then like they get tired of that. They go and like interrogate his parents and they're like, they're like, they're like look, okay, we don't want to get in trouble with you guys. We know that you guys got a lot of pull in this community. He's a grown up. Go talk to him. So they go right back to him. They go right back to the kid and start interrogating him again. And Twitch makes them go like, are you guys trying to become Christians? Like, because you're asking lots of hard questions. I don't have all the answers to them. But if you want to know, all I got to say, here, here's what it is. I used to be able to not see. Now I can see. And he did it. Let me rewind the tapes. I used to be able to not see anything. I was blind. And now I can see, and he did it. That's being a witness. And you have this story. You have this story. If you're a Christian, you have this story. Are you living this story? Because your story may, may be something like this. Um, your, your story might be the fact that, listen, honestly, before I surrendered my life to Jesus, before I was rescued by him, like I was seriously messed up with a lot of stuff. Last night after the service, this guy comes up to me, and he, he told me that he's like one year sober, and like, and I, I baptized this guy a while back. I, 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 know, I know his story. And like, 
it's like everything. He shared his story publicly that, you know, like that he um, was a drug addict. He was, he was a heroin addict that he was, that every, he was in prison, out of prison. It was like awful, like everything ups and downs in his life. And, and like, he's been following Jesus. And so his story is like, I used to be all about this, this, and this. And, and my life was just messed up. I was going to come apart at the seams. And then Jesus saved me and, and it has been perfect, but I've been following him ever since. And that type of story makes Baptist kids like me just like so jealous. Cause I don't have that like I don't have the heroin story. Grew up in the church. I wasn't like in the back of the pew doing drugs. Some of you were, but I wasn't. <laughs> and so like, I go like, man, this is like, this, it, sometimes I just feel like, man, I wish I had a story because I could tell someone, listen, I'll tell you what I know about Jesus. God is real. This is not all a coincidence. And God loves me so much that in spite of my sin, in spite of my break with God, God made a way for me to come back to him, but it wasn't through my works. It was by Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the grave. And I, I put my trust in that. And, and I'd love to be able to say, and, and I'll tell you what, my life, I had all these, you know, I was in and out of terrible relationships. I was doing drugs. I was homeless for five and a half years. And, and my, my parents, they didn't love me anymore. And I never got any cards for my birthday. You know, I, I'd love to have a huge story. And then Jesus, but I don't. And if you feel like you've got a board, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have baptisms and pe- you're going to hear people's stories and they're going to be the full gamut. The thing I love, I love it when someone's like, I don't really have a testimony. I've got a boring life. To which I go, shut up. You are a person that was dead in your sins and you may have polished it up because you were super churchy like me. But let me tell you my story of what he's done in my life. I grew up in the church and I did all mostly the right things. The things that I did wrong were more mischievous rather than evil. But the thing that was most messed up and dark about my heart was I was self-righteous. I felt like if I did all these right things that God liked me better. And so I lived a self-righteous life. But you know what? That's the same for anyone. Whether you're self-righteous because of the good things you're doing or you're self-justifying yourself because like if I actually derive pleasure from this relationship or derive pleasure from this drug or derive pleasure from this job or derive pleasure from my GPA or how many friends I have or whether I was asked to the dance, if I derive pleasure and self-justification from any of those things, I'm my own savior and I'm miserable and I'm lost, I'm going to hell until Jesus. In my life, until I surrendered my life to Jesus, even though I heard about Jesus from a kid, there was a point where I surrendered to him and that point made all the difference. And you and I both know that I'm not perfect. You and I both know that I'm still like, I'm a stutter step often. But the reality is, is that when I surrendered my life to Jesus, that changed. It was a game changer. Oftentimes, we're freaked out to actually share this with our world because we don't think that we have anything to say. And you may not. But if you don't, it's because of the fact that you're not paying attention to what he's done in your life. And perhaps you're not surrendering to him. Because if you do, all of a sudden you get to watch, no matter what you've done, the point where all of a sudden the new start happens. And then you take those two things and you share that with your world. You share that with your world. You basically take what you know about Jesus, what he's done in your life, and you share it in your world. Again, here's the genius behind, when we have baptisms, um, we don't... Because people are like, I don't know how to communicate. This is the first time I've communicated my witness, my story to people. And so we just simply say this. What was happening in your life before you surrendered your life to Jesus? Well, my life wasn't that bad. I know it wasn't that bad. I know you. But what was it like? In the midst of the good things, I was kind of insecure because everything was on me. 
Um, every relationship, what well, was either made my life or it destroyed my life. Every job promotion either made my life or lack of job promotion ended my life. I felt like always topsy-turvy, so that's how I was, okay? When did, you, when did you surrender your life to Jesus? Well, it was actually three Easter's ago. Okay, awesome. What a thing, what's been different since that? Actually, I, I, I'm, I find myself in more peace because my identity isn't rooted in how I perform or how I look or what I can accomplish. It's, it's actually rooted in what he's done for me. Okay, there you go. That's your story. That, that's what we share in the baptisms. Before, when you actually put your trust in Jesus and what's happened since. Share that with your world. The disciples, I love this. If you feel like you're slow on the draw and you don't, you're not doing that, you're in good company. Look at the disciples and look what they did. Jesus gives this amazing mission. He gives them the mission. Go into the whole world, starting with Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. I'm going to give you the power to do this. Go! And then Jesus leaves. And then this is what happens. So let's just, just read that once again, verse 7. It's not for you to know the times and dates of the Father. Or jump to 8, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, if you look over at Luke 24, you have the same two guys described as angels in Luke 24, um, dressed in white, stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. I love this because Jesus basically says, I've got a mission for you. You're going to be witnesses, so go. And they go, and then the disciples respond to that mission to go by staying. And they're just like, When's he coming back? When he just said it's not for you to know that. It's like, it's like hey, don't, don't waste time wondering when I'm coming back. You've got a mission to do. Yeah, but when is he coming back? Like, I'm, I'm just going to wait. I'm all about Jesus. And then all of a sudden the angels show up. I would have loved it if Jesus himself would have come back down and said, no, literally, go. But he didn't. He has the angels come in. And the angels come in and say, guys, why are you looking at the sky? We're waiting for him to come back. He the amazing thing is, is what these angels say is, why are you looking so intently into the sky? And this is the important thing for us as believers. A lot of times, we, we're Christians, we get this so wrong, is we think that the epicenter of our faith is this. He's coming back. I got, I've got a feeling this this year. He's coming back. This is bananas. It's crazy town here. So I'm just going, whoosh. I'm focused on. Whoosh. I go to church and whoosh. this is where I'm at. And that, honestly, I mean, a lot of times, this is what, where we think that our Christianity lies. Not according to the book of Acts. Not according to these angels. What they're saying is this. If you have an intent passion for your Savior who's left, promising that he's going to return, you have a mission to go. This, this is not the highest point of your faith. If it is, you're not living out the mission he's given you. And your world is hurting because of it. Your world is missing out on the mission he gave you and he gave me. And if this is where your faith is, then take your eyes down and get out into the Jerusalem that he's called you into. We need this so that we go out every single week. 
When we, when we were um, Spy Kids this year, um, we talked through, we wanted to break down the whole Bible for the kids to, because a lot of us find this to be a daunting book. I don't understand it. So we wanted to help them be able to understand the whole Bible. And so we broke it down into four parts. And then we like created all these rooms that the kids would go into the first room, which is the first whole part of the Bible. Then the next day they went to the second room, which is the next whole part of the Bible. And uh, they kept on doing this. And the third day was the beginning of the New Testament. And on the fourth day was right where we read the beginning of the book of Acts, when Jesus gives the mission to the church and unleashes the church to the end of the Bible. That's what we did on the fourth day. And on the fourth day, it was so cool because it, the kids walked into an absolute dark, cavernous cave. And in this cave, the kids had a chance to walk in and the, the, the person um, holding, uh, they had a, the, the like guide, the adult guide brings a lantern. It's like talking about the, the darkness of the world. But the fact that Jesus in the book of Acts had this promise and, and this mission to them that though he was going, he was going to give them, he was going to empower them with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. But he gives them this mission. And in spite of the fact that Jesus had a mission for the entire world, he told them to start somewhere. And the, where they were supposed to start was Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was, was a place that was, as we've talked about this before, Jerusalem is the place that's right across the street from them. These are the people that I went to school with. These are the people that, that are in my hometown. We get each other. Culturally, we understand each other. And so his, his, he said, start there. Start with the people that, that you understand. Be my witness. Take what you know about me. Take what I've done in your life and share it first, first with Jerusalem. But don't stop there. In fact, you also want to go cross-culturally. And what he said, was, it was so cool because he said that what they needed to do was not just stay in their hometown, but they had to go across to people that actually differed from them, differed from their, their value systems, people that, that were different ethnicities, different nationalities, different religious perspectives. When he says Jerusalem, then he says Judea and Samaria. These were people who you, you could walk to those lands, but they were different from you. And he said, this, this message of good news, this good news is for them too. So don't stay in Jerusalem with the people who get it, who are going to get it quicker. Go to those who are outside the culture, the cultural norms that you have, and actually go there with this good news. We just turned it off. One of the things that I think that Christians um, fail at the most often with regard to this is thinking that um, their faith is really only for the people that get it. Like, I'm going to share my faith with people I really, really like, and that's it. Or people that I really, really care about. I don't want to see these people go to hell, so I'm going to talk about here. But Jesus jumps past that and says, no, go to people who have different value systems than you. You got to be real with them, too. Why would you, why would you hold that? Uh, why would you hide that from them? But the thing that he said that was probably the most daunting and you know, perhaps even scary to a lot of the disciples was the fact that he didn't, didn't want them simply to be going uh, nationally, to cross cultures, but he was actually wanting them to go to places that they had never seen before. This is why I'm so excited that as a church, like we support people like the Hags, who are honestly passionate about seeing this gospel not be an American thing, not be a predominantly white thing, but be something that is a global thing, and to partner alongside churches and people that are in other countries. And, and this amazing mission is, is what he's called, he called those disciples to do. People who, who, were, who were, a lot of times, they, they were illiterate, they were far more ignorant. You're way more educated than them. You've got way more resources than they did. And he told them to start with Jerusalem, go cross-culturally, and then go to the uttermost parts of the world. You know what I think is so, my, the, my favorite part about this? Could you take out your phones? You can take out your phones and just turn on your uh, flashlight and you can just 
have that in your lap pointing up. Or you could have it in your hands, it's fine. The thing that I think is so cool is this. Jesus tells them that he says, I want you to not leave Jerusalem because there's going to come a gift. And the gift is going to be something that you're going to need. And so they, they automatically go, oh, I know what the gift is. The gift is that we're going to kick out the Romans. The gift is that we're going to take back our world. For, and this is going to be amazing. We're going to, like, Israel's going to be awesome again. And, and we're going to be, the, we're actually going to get a promotion. This is a quality of life upgrade for us. And Jesus is like, you have so missed the point of the gift. The gift is not just a gift. The gift is a person. And it's the Holy Spirit. He's going to be, be able to animate the mission that I've got for you. It's going to start here, and it's going to go here, and it's going to even go to places you never even dreamed about. And the thing that blows me away is that these ignorant, illiterate fishermen, tax collectors, people who are on different sides of the political spectrum, people that should never have agreed on anything in the same room, the mission was, was doomed from the beginning. The thing that I think is so cool about this is that they got here. And you know how I know that? Because you're here. Each one of us, if you're in Christ... You are one of the lights that they reached. 2,000 years later, that mission that was given has reached us. And the amazing thing is, is that it doesn't stop with us, does it? Does it? No. Because this is our story. We're called into this story. Here's what I want you to do this week. Take what you know about him, plus what he's done in your life, and share that with your Jerusalem the people that you hang with, the people that get you most, but people who don't know Jesus, and just be real with them. And they're going to ask you questions you don't know the answer to, and that's okay. You could say, I don't know. And they're going to say, yeah, but you're a hypocrite. Like you, your life doesn't reflect that. You could say, you're right. And I'm surrendering it to him. I'm being honest. I, I, I fall more than I, I, I stand. But this is who I am. And I would love for you to know about this. Amen? The mission is still active. Let us be a people that are living that out today. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we ask you to animate in us the drive that the initial disciples had to boldly share, gently share, carefully share, respectfully share the reality of our hope that's found only in you. Lord, I pray over this group of people right here that they will do just that. God, I, all the fears that we have, all the things that stress us out about sharing our faith, Lord, I pray that you just put them in perspective with who you are and how important this message is and let us just be authentic people right in our Jerusalem, right in our places of work, right in our schools, right, right in our homes and that you'll get the glory for it and we'll give you all the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. See you next week.